podcast contains strong language, adult themes, and Christmas cheer. Welcome to this festive edition of Perfectly Murderous. Twas the night before the murder, and all through the house. Not a creature was stirring, well, apart from David Stone in his fitful nightmare. The hacksaw was hung by the ground sheet with care, in the hope that his victim would soon be there. Merry Christmas, Sandy! Hey! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> well, well, season's greetings to you too, Ryan. You increasingly disturbing psychopath. Uh, that's sort of nice and normal. <laughs> yeah, I've written that in all my Christmas cards. <laughs> have you dressed for the occasion? I have. I have. Hopefully you can hear that. I have uh, antlers with uh, with jingle bells on them. There we go. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> as um, as as subscribers to our Patreon will uh, will be able to see on the HD video streams we put out of these podcasts, <laughs> I, I'm dressed in a, a full Santa outfit. <laughs> and if I just if I just take this off, you can see. I'm, there we go. I'm wearing a, a full snowman outfit underneath. <laughs> and I, I'm not going to show any more, but you can you can take it from me that I am wearing an elf's undercrackers. So uh, I'm feeling very festive, quite warm. Uh, I'm just gonna just gonna open open a bottle of something. <laughs> nice glass of Christmas port and uh, mince pies. Uh, they're around somewhere as well. I absolutely love it, Sandy. That I really, really do hope that you're wearing those clothes. <laughs> I was going to talk to you, Sandy, about obviously you've you've recently been back to the UK. Yes, and we 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 talked about all the things we miss in the UK and and all those things. But is there anything that Italians do which is different to the UK? The only thing I know is my brother always buys a is it panettone the cake. Oh, you mean like specifically Christmas? I was going to be like yes. I mean, literally everything is better here. <laughs> Yeah, specifically Christmas. <laughs> uh, presents on Christmas Eve. What? Well, all the presents? Yeah. All the presents are on Christmas Eve? Yes, to the best of my knowledge. So yeah. what do you do on Christmas Day? Just eat. <laughs> what? So just, you... just eat until until it hurts and then eat a bit more. When, when does Santa deliver the presents? Well, there is, it's a slightly different... You've got Babbo Natale, but I'm not sure there's quite the same mythology of him being responsible for the presents here. I think... I thought, I think the um, I have to be very careful what I say on a on a on a live microphone about this particular figure, especially a week before before Christmas. <laughs> Hang on, can we can we just say if you've got any small children in the room right now, make them leave, go away. <laughs> because the small children have been listening up until now, <laughs> they've been binging the podcast. Very <laughs> well have been. All right, you've got three seconds. Get them out of the room. Lock them in a cupboard. Whatever you need. Right. Yeah. Basically, the the parents want the glory they want everyone to understand exactly where these presents came from i like it i don't know i'm not an expert on the subject of that it's a little bit of a digression but it is my best father christmas related story Go on. well my younger brother dave told my youngest brother pete the truth about father christmas oh. uh, <laughs> on christmas eve oh, God. when pete was four years old oh jeez Four years old. I'm just going just gonna to hit the big red button on your Christmas. <laughs> That's so mean. <laughs> Other things they do differently. The, the meal is the meal is fishier. 
I would say, but that might be that might be a Sicilian thing. Fish for Christmas. Wow. Fish and couscous, apparently. And the tradition would be pig's trotters, but I have been promised that, that I, I will not be served pig's trotters. Wow. So. You've already blown my mind with how different that is. It's uh, I, just, I still can't get Christmas Christmas presents on Christmas Eve. Wow. Are we pulling our Christmas crackers before or after the, the horrifying fiction? I kind of wanted to put on my party hat for this uh, for this episode, but all right, should, should we should we do one Christmas cracker now? All right, we'll do one Christmas cracker now. We'll, we'll do one each. All right, cross the arms. Okay, ready? <laughs> I've got a tiny plastic hacksaw, which is cute. Oh, well, it's quite sharp as well. <laughs> oh, perfect. Have you got a joke inside your inside your cracker? Uh, yeah, yeah. Hang on, hang on. I'm just putting on my my party hat. So my joke says, "Why did the turkey cross the road?" <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? Why, why did Why did the turkey cross the road? Not sure. Don't know. To avoid his witch of an ex-wife. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. There you go. There you go. What did you get? Did you get a toy? Go on. It's it's fallen underneath your chair. Have a look down there. Uh, I've I've got a little tiny ground sheet. Oh. Oh, it's very cute. That's quite useful. So you could use it as like a handkerchief. Yeah, or, or tiny spills or anything like that. That's yeah, it's great. <laughs> All right, I've got a I've got a joke in here as well. Go on. Why did the doctor say that David Stone couldn't do any murdering over Christmas? Um, I don't know. The doctor said he had to stay home and look after his elf. <laughs> <laughs> well, Merry Merry Christmas, Ryan. It's lovely, lovely to see you. <laughs> nice hat, Just, by the way. Oh, thank you. I was going to say the same to you. Lovely hat. Thanks. So, Sandy, what can you remember from... We, we read two chapters last time, didn't we? We did. We read uh, we chapters did. 36 and 37. What have you got? So, chapter 36, David Stone goes to Dover, which sounds like a very different sort of little novella. David Stone goes to Dover. Uh, <laughs> it sounds like a happy story about an anonymous com- commuter, possibly in a, bo- a bowler hat. In simpler times, uh, this one, however, was was hiding behind a huge fake newspaper to buy a murder van with cash and a false address. Can I just say that he he didn't get a fake newspaper? <laughs> Did I say fake newspaper? I don't know. That'll be a, that that'll be a, an elaborate prop. <laughs> <laughs> so no, it was the van that was fake. He's bought a fake van with a real newspaper. <laughs> And uh, no. <laughs> hiding behind a newspaper, he's then bought he's bought a van, paid cash with it, so it's anonymous. And he's still adding, quite appropriately for this time of year, still adding to his list all the things he's going to ask Santa for. But instead of um, <laughs> sticking it in a post box marked Father Christmas Lapland, he's going to use it as a reference when he goes to the DIY store to buy all the equipment he needs to murder his ex-wife. Padlock, check. Hacksaw, check. Bolt cutters, check, etc. Then he has to plan the funeral. He has to plan the Anne's funeral. And um, he he's trying and failing to write his eulogy, so he enlists the help of a professional celebrant. He makes an appointment to go and see the doctor, which we find out more about in chapter 37. And then he goes a bit anonymous and starts being all kind of withholding narrator. 
and he he goes to find something that needs string and it's all very enigmatic so he's he's having mm. some scheming and some plotting it's sort of the first time that David Stone that does something that we don't know about. That he doesn't tell us about, yeah. Yeah, everything gets laid on the line and he's gonna his thoughts and emotions and everything's it's quite raw and bare. But this is the first time he's he's gone away and sort of, you know, chuckled to himself and gone, hmm, perfect, but we don't know what it is. So then he wants to go and scout out his ex-wife's house, check in how long the journey will take. He makes absolutely sure that her and her husband always leave the house at exactly the same time by watching them once. <laughs> like clockwork. And assuming <laughs> from their demeanour that this is yeah, it's, it's a regular routine. <laughs> we find out that his plan includes nicking all the valuables to make it look as though she's done a, a runner. And then he goes to the doctor where he's told there's a lot of plot in these chapters. He goes to the doctor mm. and he's been told he's had a series of small strokes caused by stress and the cure is sleep, which even for the fairly negligent NHS seems a bit laissez-faire, but there we go. <laughs> and then the celebrant comes around and he tells her all about his plans for the service and she thinks it sounds it sounds very nice and they plan the music together. They're going to have always look on the bright side of life and oh, I will always love you, which we found out is not by the person we all thought it was, whose name I can't remember. Whitney Houston. Whitney Houston, there we go. Whitney, it's not Whitney Houston. It's uh, it's a Dolly Parton tune. And we talk about what's real and what's not real. And I can remember the the funeral, which I'm sure we'll get to at some point. But yeah, that's the that's the music that you have. So that's all very real there. So I imagine, well... The conversations with the celebrant, pretty much everything that's happened in real life mm. and the song choices and all this planning for the funeral is all, yeah, all very real. Hopefully the uh, reconnaissance and hiding in the bushes outside my mum's house, less real. It's more, the fictional part. Yeah. More, that's the part <laughs> that fictional. hasn't happened dot, dot, dot <laughs> yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I tell you what, Sonny, that, that recap has really got me in the festive mood. Oh, shall, shall we put another cracker? Well, I'm up for it if you are. Shall we? Um, shall we do a little countdown? All right, go on. All right. Would you Would you like to pick a number between one and five? All right, four. Four. All right. Four. Three. Three. Two. two one. one. Oh, love it. Oh, nice. <laughs> go on. You go first this time. What uh, What little toy did you get? Oh, I've got a I've got a letter from the child support agency. Oh, uh, a little tiny one. So yeah, that's, that's uh, very nice. That's very personalised. <laughs> well, the, it, you know, the content of the letter is not great, but um, you know, that's sad. Yeah, like you said, personalised. That's fine. I'm, I'm, that, that's <laughs> has okay. It got, has it yeah. got any jokes in it? it ha- there is a joke in here, actually. Hold on a second. Let me just open this up. All right. What did David Stone say to his victim as he bludgeoned them to death with gold and frankincense? I'm going to murder you <laughs> wait there's mur <laughs> oh wait there's mur there we go <laughs> good very good well, and what was in yours Sandy? what was your little toy um i've been given a little a uh, little key ring for storing it's quite a temporary key ring for storing temporary keys to a van that you're only going to own for a very short amount of time <laughs> so uh so that's nice, isn't it? Because sometimes things do break quite quickly from 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 Christmas crackers, uh, but in this case, it doesn't matter because you want to get rid of those keys as soon as possible. 
I've got I've got a joke here. Go on, yeah. Tell us your joke. It says, Doctor Doctor, I feel like a pair of curtains. <laughs> I don't care. Here's a misdiagnosis and a bill. There <laughs> 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 we go. Uh, uh, fantastic jokes. <laughs> well, <laughs> If you've got any complaints about the contents of these Christmas crackers, you can write to us at perfectlymurderous at outlook.co.nz. I'm, I'm looking forward to the day that my dad discovers the, the podcast and, and listens through and, <laughs> and discovers this episode. The Christmas episode. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh, oh. All right, Sandy, are you ready for chapter 38 of... Getting away with murder. There is nothing I would like for Christmas more than to hear this chapter read by you. Here we go. Saturday, and David couldn't do any reconnaissance. His victim would be at home. But he couldn't sit still, and he took his own car out for a change. Didn't want the van used at weekends. The van remained parked in town all that day. Absent-mindedly, he did a bit of shopping and ticked a few more items off the list. No doubt getting ready for Christmas, like you said. (laughs) Check it off again, fold it up and put it away. Driving down the motorway one more time, he he really just needed to get out of the house again, if he was honest. With the watch on his clipboard, he timed everything he could think of again. More for something to do than anything else. Travel time noted on the list. Ten minutes faster. Different vehicle, different day, different time, different driving conditions. Waste of time doing this over the weekend. No. No, it wasn't. The disposal of the vehicles had been preying on his mind all the time. Originally, he was going to abandon hers at a station, car park or Gatwick, suggesting that she'd fled somewhere. But no, that wasn't good enough. No forwarding tickets, too many clues, CCTV to contend with. The car had to disappear. Both the van and her car had to be destroyed. Only way. Plan that out now. Come on. Stupid. Forget her house today. He had other sites to examine. Sites to check and measure. Moron. You're getting things mixed up already. Oh, he's very self-critical today. He is, isn't he? We're, we're starting to sort of see it unravel. And he's obviously got this perfect murder plan in his head, Billy. Mm. Doesn't seem to be able to follow it through with these mistakes and lack of sleep and getting things confused. Can I um, can I share with you something that's been stuck in my head since the, the opening words of the chapter? Yeah. Right? I realise that this... <laughs> This part of the book wasn't actually conceived as a Christmas episode. But, but certain things have got mixed up in my brain. And now all that's going around in my head is this. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to decide who lives and who dies. David Stone is coming to town. <laughs> Oh, God. Oh, I didn't even thought about this, but he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you leave for work. He knows if you've been bad or good. So look out, this is gonna hurt. Oh, David Stone is coming. Oh, fantastic. With his list. Oh, Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) It really changes the tone of the story. Oh, excellent. (laughs) I imagined um, 
him driving up the motorway with Christmas songs. That's what I thought you were going to say, you know, with a bit of Chris Rear driving home for Christmas, you know, have, have that in the background or something. But no, yours is way better. I can't <laughs> wait to slash those faces. <laughs> I'm dreaming of a red Christmas. <laughs> Um, there's just one line in there which kind of stuck out to me. Go on. It was just, so he doesn't know what to do with himself, right? It's a Saturday and he's sort of thinking, should I do some reconnaissance and think about it and do whatever? And he's a bit lost. He doesn't really sort of know what he's up to. Mm. And he says, with the watch on his clipboard, he timed everything he could think of again, more for something to do than anything else. What did he time? It, well, he was timing the journey, but it was just... The fact that it was more to more something to do than anything else, and it kind of struck me as quite a real thing that when you lose somebody like that, you can potentially feel quite lost and feel that you don't know what you're up to and and, and purpose for the day. Like, what is that? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, everything's kind of out the window. So you know, it could be a fictional thing. You know, just driving up the motorway for something to do. But it just, I don't know, struck me as quite a real moment for a second. He's it's certainly, he's completely lacking in any kind of social safety blanket or social structures around him. Mm. He's, he's very much going through all this on his own. And yeah, I guess that would leave you with some days where you're just like, well, I've got to do something because otherwise I'll just sit around and overthink everything. Yeah, so <laughs> drive down the M2 to uh, your ex-wife's house. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, forget her house today. He had other sites to examine, sites to check and measure. More on, come on, things are getting mixed up already. Pulling up at the side of the road, he took the list out again. There it was in black and white on the right side of the sheet. Christ, he was losing it. Get your act together, get organised, stick to the plan. You know what to do, get it right. Had he got the boulder string for the test? Luckily, he'd thrown the bag from his shopping trip that morning into the boot. God. I'd forgotten I could go to the quarry sites this morning. I'm getting tired, starting to make mistakes. No mistakes, no clues. There were two sites in mind, and he needed to check how deep the water was at both sites. The first site was just minutes away from the witch's house, and he drove there and parked up at the side of the road a couple of minutes away from the old quarry. It was guarded only by a small barrier hidden behind a pair of wire fence gates. Um, just like to say that uh, Cuxton, which is where my mum currently resides we hope yeah we hope <laughs> haven't spoken to us in a couple of days um the next village over is hauling and hauling basically has a giant quarry there and ah. that's that's all there is <laughs> <laughs> and, and in the quarry is a giant turquoise lake that's just this beautiful color due to the chalk underneath the surface and uh it looks so tempting on hot hot days but I've always been warned as a child that it's just this really, really, you know, obviously deep water and it's freezing cold and don't ever go there and don't ever swim in it sort of thing. Mm. But yeah, talks about two sites in mind that, are, you know, close by. That one's literally the next village over. And then if you head in the opposite direction, I don't know if this is the site that maybe my dad has in mind, but there was an old quarry that was full of water, but has now been developed into a housing estate. Yeah, so he might sort of have that in my mind i kind of realized that as he talked about them i'd subconsciously pictured these two places naturally yeah just thinking oh yeah they're, they're the quarries that's the ones he's talking about 
But um, hopefully you pick the one that wasn't turned into a housing estate. Because uh, <laughs> that would be uh, awkward for the workmen. <laughs> yeah, it's something's going to come up when they, when they dig the foundations. <laughs> Same. Not much to stop the cars entering the site. Not much to stop anyone entering the site. But there's nothing of interest here. Just a big hole. The bolt cutters will make short work of the gate padlock when I need to bring a car in here. Ducking under the barrier, he carefully edged his way down to the quarry. Standing on the edge of the man-made lake, he took the ball of string out of his pocket and tied a large stone to one end. Unraveling the ball so he had a good length to play with, he held one end to which he tied a stone and swung it a couple of times above his head to make sure it went a decent way out into the lake. Letting go, it flew about ten yards out. <laughs> Can I just say that... Um, That's not that far, is it? No, it's quite a pathetic throw. <laughs> if you managed to tie a stone to a, a piece of string, and I imagine you're kind of swirling it around your head like a lasso type type style, I imagine you could get a fairly good distance on that, but 10 yards. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fairly pitiful. We don't know how heavy the stone is. It might be a vast Wiley Coyote style boulder. <laughs> that's true. In which case, 10 yards is quite magnificent. Maybe. I mean, look, we, we know this guy's unpredictable, wild and sometimes violent. It could be a it could be a relation. It could be just a, a, a small <laughs> member of his own family who is just tied to the string and, and thrown out into the lake. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Did that ever happen? Did your dad ever drive you to a quarry in, on, on a Saturday and see how far he could throw you into a freezing lake? <laughs> no, but I haven't seen a couple of my uncles in a while. Um, mm. okay. In that context, 10 yards, it's pretty respectable. <laughs> right. So he's flung his, flung his rock out 10 yards. Mm. He hit the surface with a good splash and immediately disappeared from sight. The string from the ball in his hand started to follow it. After a few seconds, David realised the entire ball was about to disappear into the depths. Bloody hell. I knew these old quarries were deep. I had no idea just how deep. Bloody perfect for what I want. I won't bother with the other site. This one was ideal. Satisfied with his, with his work, David went home to check through everything yet again. The list would be examined. <laughs> do 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 <laughs> it's really going to change this novel isn't it that association <laughs> definitely <laughs> um it also this goes to answer one of the age-old questions doesn't it you know we, we've always asked ourselves how long is a piece of string and it turns out the answer is not quite as deep as a quarry. <laughs> How do you know? Well, let me tell you a story. <laughs> How long is a standard ball of string? Because I feel like maybe you get, what, 20 metres? Well... 30 metres on a ball of string? It said after a few seconds, David realised the entire ball was about to disappear. I like to think that if you've thrown a stone out 10 yards mm. and after maybe a few seconds, the string's disappearing, probably it's not as deep as you think it is, David. <laughs> I need to do a bit more. Yeah, that is true. Apparently, apparently a, a, a normal ball of string can be up to 100 metres, which is extraordinary. That's the length of a football pitch. So, yeah, if, if we, I mean, that would take a while to unravel. If 100 metres disappeared, well, I'd be happy with that. That's some that's some fairly thin water or a very heavy stone. Again, 
further giving credence to my theory that he's just lobbed a member of his family into the lake. <laughs> and old Uncle Craig disappeared. <laughs> old Uncle Craig was out of sight in seconds. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. The list would be examined as soon as he stepped through the door. A note of paranoia, perhaps, that something else to tick off. One perfect solution already sorted. Mm. <laughs> I, I'm not sure when, whenever he says perfect solution, it, it's happened previously in the book. Obviously, the sinister undertones of his, you know, his when he says perfect. But, but when he has solution, I can't help but think of final solution. <laughs> I wondered if we were going there. We've really kind of covered the whole range of tone in this podcast, haven't we? <laughs> we really have. But, but whenever he says a perfect solution, I'm like, oh, really? Like, I mean, I thought it, you thought it. It's kind of... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, David Stone's happy in his world. He is a, he is a perfectionist. You say what we like about David Stone. <laughs> He's got his bad qualities, but he is a perfectionist. <laughs> He's not interested in any old murder. He wants perfect murder. He's not interested in any old solution. It's going to be the perfect solution. <laughs> Just imagine David Stone go to a job interview. You know, what, what quality have you have you got that you can add to the job? Oh, yeah, I'm a perfectionist. Oh, perfectionist, yeah, yeah. Have you got an example, Mr Stone? Uh... <laughs> well, let me tell you a story. <laughs> Move the van that evening. Get into the garage for a few hours. Fit out the ground sheet. No blood spills. Get the tools ready, but don't leave them inside. When he'd finished, he found a new spot in town he hadn't used before and moved the van. I think those last few lines tell us a bit of new information that we hadn't had before, that he plans to bring his ex-wife back to the house. Oh, oh, I understood that as he was fitting the ground sheet to the van. I thought the van went in the garage and then it... Oh, get it into the garage. Oh, yeah. Oh, maybe. No, you think I think you're right. Move the van that evening. Get it into the garage for a few hours and fit the ground. No, you're right. He's planning to put it into the van. That's okay. I couldn't have had the had it in my head that he was gonna because I can't quite remember what happened. But I thought he was gonna take it back to the back to the house, and I was like, that's risky. In a perfect yeah, murder plan, bringing them back to the house is not a good thing to do. No, Ryan, Ryan, you idiot! You're doing it wrong. Mistake is careless, Ryan. You mustn't. This is bad, Ryan. Avoid the mistakes. It must be perfect. Everything, yes, perfect. <laughs> I was just thinking of Detective Robert Steele. Just going, <laughs> brought the victim back to the house, did you? <laughs> Get your truth straight forensic work. <laughs> Classic mistake. Oh. <laughs> David, you really are a buffoon. <laughs> Speaking of which, we've not heard from Detective... Robert Steen in a while, have we? We kind of had a initial... He's been packed off to London. Yeah, well, maybe... Back to his scale extract set in the attic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he must pop up again soon. Um, I've got one question just before we do our final Christmas cracker, Sandy. Go on. A little while ago, we could have talked about where the book was going and we talked about whether there was going to be a murder or not. And we've kind of sort of come to the conclusion that it looks like there probably will be a murder. And the book's kind of changed into, will he get away with the murder? And will he be able to gloat about the murder? Mm. And the way it's written, it's kind of to get you on side to think, is he going to get away with it? Or isn't he going to get away with it? So the question for you, Sam, I'm going to put you on the spot slightly, but 
where are you sitting with David Stone at the moment? Do you feel like you're kind of thinking, oh, I quite like David Stone to get away with this or or not? Oh, that's interesting. I, I'm going to be honest, it's, it's skewed by the fact that I am currently picturing him wearing a Santa costume. But in general, in, I oh, where are my sympathies? I'm certainly interested to find out whether he does get away with it or not. Mm. I sort of, I suppose what I'd say is, I think the most satisfying outcome as a reader at this point would be, and this is in no way, this is in no way a moral statement. Please don't read too much into this, uh, especially if you're listening, Ryan's mum. I think for the story, he should commit the murder and then eventually be caught. But mm. there's also, I'd say, a possibility for him, for his plan to be foiled by some twist of fate or or perhaps even some fatal flaw in his own character. Um, mm. Either way, we need a bit more Robert Steele. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I feel that it's very much David Stone's journey at the moment. Yeah. So... And obviously he's a man that's hurting deeply currently. Uh-huh. So for his, for David Stone's story arc to be con- complete, I kind of feel that, I mean, yes, he could murder and he could gloat, but that's, it's not satisfying, is it? So mm. like you said, you, you either need to have him murder and get caught or it unravels or something like that, or, or David Stone, I don't know, needs to sort of get to the brink mm. and come back or or something like that. But and then it you know, he he would then learn sort of some kind of lesson. You have to oh no, I don't I hate stories where people learn lessons. It makes me feel far I, too <laughs> inadequate in a moral sense. I don't think David Stone's the type. No, no exactly. <laughs> no, I think I think he's gonna he's gonna get away with the murder, but be denied the gloating and actually thinking about it. It might be that he doesn't live through the book. That I think would be my, not necessarily what I want, but would be my sort of prediction at this point, is mm. that he himself dies and and dies in a sort of combination of frustration that he didn't live to gloat and relief that it's over and he can go and join Anne. I don't know. Would it be unsatisfying if he went and committed the murder and then everything went really smoothly? And then he went to see the doctor and the doctor went, oh, your blood pressure's gone down. <laughs> <laughs> I think your health has really picked up, David Stone. Yeah. And then yeah. he um, and then he went on holiday to Mallorca and just read a book and met, gloated about the whole thing. Met a nice young librarian there and <laughs> discovered they had a lot in common, settled down and just lived happily ever after. Until she ran off with the local... <laughs> <laughs> Which leads us to book two of the, the Robert Steele Detective Trilogy. <laughs> All right, Sandy, I think it's time for a cracker. I'd love one. I've, I've only got one left. Yeah, me too. All right, what, what I'm going to do is, uh, instead of counting down, I'm going to say the word ho three times. <laughs> okay. Okay, you ready? All right. Ho, ho, <laughs> ho. ho. <laughs> so- Still so sinister. <laughs> it's just a little bit of art imitating life in these uh, in these crackers. Oh, I've got a blue hat this time. That's nice. Oh, mine's kind of a, a rich purple. I love it. Oh, and I've got and I've got a ball of string. 
which is uh, which is practical as well as um, as well as as well as sort of portable and novelty. Oh, I love it! Uh, how how long is it? Um, it's not quite as long as the lake in the old abandoned quarry. Uh... That's what that's actually written on it. Length not quite as long as the lake in the old abandoned quarry. Yeah, yeah. Tell us what you've got. I get, uh, I've got I've got a fake Daily Telegraph. <laughs> so not not a real Daily Telegraph, but just a little fake version. So it, it unfolds and it's oh a little tiny fake. Yeah, and it's it's it looks like it's real, but it's not. It's, uh, it's yeah, not. It's a, it's, it's, it's a Hollywood prop. What's, what's the headline? Just like foreigners ruin everything. <laughs> Man remains anonymous on train. <laughs> Excellent. Go on. What's uh, what's your joke? Tell us your joke. Oh, okay. <clears throat> right here we go. What did Santa Claus suffer from as David Stone buried him alive in an asbestos infill site? Oh, um, uh, I no, I don't know. I don't know. Claustrophobia. Ah, oh, it would be, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there we go. Excellent, excellent. All right, Sandy. What? What's your? Uh... Mine says. Mine says. Who does Santa call when he's ill? Ah, oh, who does? The National Health Service. Although they won't do any good to the bastards. Just grind you down, grind you down into a useless pulp and then spit you out to die on the cold, unfeeling streets like a dog, alone and miserable, haunted by your own vicious, unfeeling fantasies of revenge against the callous system, the machine, the machine that showed no mercy to man, woman or child. The stupid bastards. Everyone must die. Which is longer than you usually get in a, in a Christmas, Christmas cracker joke. Oh, um, that might be my favourite joke ever. <laughs> I don't know how easy it would be to retell down the pub. Someone goes, anyone know any good jokes? Yes. There we go. Who does Santa call when he's ill? <laughs> oh, that's excellent. <laughs> Listen, uh, nothing funny's happened to me this week, so I'm going to seize the agenda paper. And instead of giving you a chance to ask me if anything funny's happened to me this week, I'm going to ask you how you plan on spending Christmas. Oh, I like it. Well, we talked earlier about, you know, believing in Santa and it, and Finn is four. Oh, a ripe age to be told the truth at 8.15 <laughs> on Christmas Eve. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I plan to do. <laughs> but no, it's, it really is a nice time of year and just... He keeps asking questions about Santa. When's Santa doing this? And mm. it's funny you talk about presents on Christmas Eve and the parents taking the credit because Laura very much says Santa delivers one present and the rest come from us. And this is what I got you, <laughs> <laughs> which is, you know, to be fair, credit to her. Damn straight. Yeah. Our Christmas tree this year. So, but Summer grabs everything that she can reach so we can't have anything on the tree in the lower region the lower third of the tree right so so the tree just looks dreadful sort of naked from the waist down <laughs> yeah completely it's just it's awful and then we occasionally just put sort of little things on the tree that she can grab and she goes and finds them and rips them off and the, and it's the tree's been pulled out so often that it's it, it's now wonky it, it really just it's just 
it doesn't invoke the Christmas spirit at all. But no, yeah, it's going to be a good, a good year. We have a similar experience with with, a, with quite a small tree and um, and two and a cats cat. who live in there. Yeah, so, I was going to say. Exactly. <laughs> what about Christmas for you, Sally? How's it going to go? I think it'll be quite nice and relaxed. I'm going to go and spend it with, uh, with Alice's family for the first time. Plan the usual go-to plan for any sort of festivity in Sicily is just eat until it hurts. I'm down with that. I think that is the true spirit of of Christmas. So uh, yeah, we're looking forward to it. And and again, it'll be nice, fairly warm weather. It's about twenty degrees here at the moment, and we're down by the beach, so we might go for a little little walk along the coast, something like that. Beautiful stuff. Twenty degrees. Wow. Very enjoyable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, lovely stuff. Well, on that note. Yeah, I'm not going to speak to you before Christmas. So I, I hope you have a lovely day with Alicia and the, and their family. Yeah, yeah. Have a have a magical time with the kids. Yeah, thank you. And um, we'll speak to you. Either in the Christmas gooch or in the New Year. Indeed, indeed. All right, Chris, Sandy, uh, Merry Christmas then. You better call me Chris. No, I was, I was saying... <laughs> I was, uh, All right, it's Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> yeah. All right, Christmas. Merry Christmas. Uh, I've had too much pork. See you later, New Year. <laughs> Well, um, instead of a instead of a countdown, I'm going to say the word "ho" three times and then clap. Okay, just okay. to get into the spirit of things. I love it. Ready? Okay. Ho 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 ho. It's a very sinister ho. That was. I was expecting a ho 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 clap. <laughs> it was such a sinister oh. ho ho. I was, I was... <laughs> I was trying to do it in a measured way. Um, I think we might need to redo that. All right. Well, I'm going to do it. I'm going to lean into the sinister. Okay. I'm going to do the ho-ho-hos in the style of Alan Rickman as a tribute to the legendary Christmas movie Die Hard. Oh, I love it. Go on then. Ready? Ho, 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 ho. Love it. Beautiful. Ha, ha, ha.